before we get this episode started, we just want to take time to kind of reflect on the life of Klaus Teuber. Uh, he is the designer of the very popular Settlers of Catan, and he passed away on April 1st, 2023. And Tony, we've talked about our history of games, especially just a couple episodes. We talked about how our game tastes have changed over time. And I said at that time when I was wanting to try out a hobby game and I went and to Yahoo or wherever and search for top games, though one that kept coming to the top was Catan. And I know it's kind of cliche, but for me, for sure, Catan was the board game that was my gateway game to hobby style games. Yes. And then you brought me over to the house and we played this game and I was like, wow, what an amazing game. We had a blast with the family playing that first one where I think Donna, Vanessa, you and I were all playing. It was just fun as we were able to explore that game take time, understand that it's not what we grew up with, that there was more to this hobby that got us started down our path where we are now, you know, 15 years later. And going back and reflecting on what he did, I did not realize that the man had won four Spiel des Jahres. Mm. We got to talk to him when um, they re-released the game Starfares of Catan. Yes. And that was an experience for both of us because I think we befuddled him with our lawnmower question. (laughs) <laughs> we did. Uh, this was a, a gentleman who doesn't speak a lot of English. So his son was on uh, with him to help interpret for us. And uh, in, in cliche form, we always would uh, ask, you know, so what type of lawnmower do you have? And he was kind of thrown by that a bit. But it was a pleasure talking to him. Um, he was very gracious when he was on the show with the interview. And, you know, it was great to be able to do that, to, to meet uh, or to talk to someone in the hobby who got us started on, on our journey. I, mean, I would say he's probably the godfather of Euro style games, mm-hmm. right? So he kind of kicked off the entire one of the kicked off the Euro German game genre that uh, we know so well today. So hearing the news that he passed away at 70, that, that was tough, especially since we had the honor of actually being able to talk and, and thank the guy who actually uh, brought us into the hobby. It's, it's just sad that, I'm sure that he was helping design all those other uh, Catan-type style games. Because if you look at his entries, it's amazing how many credits he has and how many other designers he probably helped and assisted in their designs as they continued their goals in board gaming. So, yeah, it's it's touching. It is. And it's really cool to see that his games are still on the shelves today, not only in game stores, but in big box stores like Target and Walmart. So that just means his legacy of Catan will live on. So condolences to his family and friends. Rest in peace, Klaus Teuber. Hey y'all, it's time for Rolling Dice and Taking Names. In this episode, the guys review two historical religious-themed games, Jerusalem Anno Domini and Vanish the Snakes plus five-minute initiatives for my Shelfie and Worldbreaker. Also, Tony finally watched RRR. Will the grumpy one like it? It took him this long to watch it? Listeners, if you have not watched RRR, do not listen to this podcast, turn it off, and go watch the movie. Hey! Hello and welcome to episode number 288, Union of the Snake. I'm Tony. And union of the snake is on the ground. Have we ever done Duran? No, we've had we've to do had, Duran. We've Duran. done Duran. We Duran. had to do Hungry Like a Wolf or something like that. We I'm did. Sure. We absolutely did. We did. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm Marty. Uh, so Union of the Snake. Here's the thing. I think I may have said this before. Duran Duran, at the time they were out, I could not stand them mm-hmm. because they were overplayed. It seems like they were plastered on everything, like uh, notebook covers and stickers and T-shirts. They were just too popular for me. It's like, ah, oh, they're just too popular. I don't really care about them. In the late 80s, when you, when I kind of forgot about them and they kind of uh, got out of that 80s past their prime. Yeah, yeah they got past that 80s stardom. So this song uh, was off uh, Seven and the Ragged Tiger, which is a third studio album. Uh, came out after the very popular Rio, which had Hungry Like a Wolf, Rio, etc. But in, in the late 80s, I started kind of hearing them again. And then the more I listened to them, I went, wow, those guys were super talented. And then I kind of knew, appreci- knew appreciation for them. And uh, I remember even uh, earlier this year, Vanessa and I just put on like the best of Duran Duran as we were traveling to Mississippi mm-hmm. or something. And... I just forgot how good and how talented that that band really is. So if you can't go back and listen to Duran Duran a while, go check them out. Go listen to them again. They're good. You have the musical taste. You have the musical ear. I do not. I just enjoyed their music. I mean, it just I don't know something about it. I don't want to say it made me want to go get up and dance because, Lord, we don't want that ever happening. We do not need me getting up and dancing. Yes, they were overplayed, but I never disliked any of their songs. What made them, what makes them so good? Is it because is it you always talk about when we were sitting there playing board games at night, you talk about <laughs> these chords and these rhythms and changing stuff and how talented that is and da 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 da. And I'm like, and we're we're all sitting there entertaining you, saying, "Yeah, you're absolutely right, Marty. You're absolutely right. I got no clue what you're talking about." <laughs> but I appreciate that you know all this because I don't. I have no clue. So Simon Lebon is just a really good singer. Yeah. Oh mat. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, see, okay, and I hate to interrupt you there, but I put him and Daryl Hall. They're vo- you know, mm. you know, yeah, up there as in underappreciated singers. Yeah. It's not one of those that would ever go to the, like the top of the list for like best singers of all time. But you go back and listen to him and go, Oh, Oh man, he is really good. And then Roger Taylor was a really good drummer. He's one of those that I've heard some of their songs deconstructed and like hearing individual tracks and then really how real, how good he was. Nick Rhodes, who was their keyboardist, this was before a bunch of sequencers and everything could be done by computers. He had to manufacture all the sounds and play them all himself, mm. which made him really talented. The bass player on Rio, that's one of my all-time favorite bass lines in a pop song ever. I just love the bass line in Rio. Can Adam do it? Can your son Adam play it? He can. I bet he, he can. Oh, man. Because I, I said, oh, can you play this? And he practiced, came back, said, yeah, here it is. And I went, oh, that's amazing. He said, actually, it's not that hard. He said, he told me, he said, it really wasn't that hard, but it's just really, really cool sounding how it's done. Okay. All right. Well, I was just kind of wondering, I mean, you know, yeah, the, the Simon, I was, it was just something about his voice. It never, and, and I guess I always picture the uh, hungry, like the, it was it hungry, like the wolf where they're on the boat, the MTV video that we, you know, where they were, or was that Rio? That was Rio. That was Rio, I think. Yeah. And, and every time I hear Duran Duran, I think of that video of them sailing on that boat. And then, yep, and, yep. And then the, uh, she's covered in blue painters. I don't know. That's, those, yeah. That was one of my favorite videos. That, well, I mean, I, I like the early stuff. The girls on film, Rio, Hungry Like film. a Wolf. When they got to, uh, what was the song where the video was them on stage and a huge wave of water came out of the top of the stage? Was that, uh, was that Reflex? It might have been. I can't remember. It's not worth five dollars to anybody. No, but not. anyway, the point is, yep. reflex. reflex. They're on stage on that video. Okay. Yep. 
reflex got on my nerves after a while. The reflex, flex, 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 flex. I don't know. That really got overplayed. And it was that point I was just kind of done with them. And even to this day, that's not one of my favorite songs from them. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. I'm watching Reflex, and there's this woman on a screen with a <laughs> I, 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 with a chain. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yep, there goes the water. <laughs> oh, okay. You know, okay. Okay. Waste enough time on Duran Duran. <laughs> okay. Taylor Swift just did a water for her new um, tour, by the way. That's all over the thing where she dives under the stage where she actually doesn't swim, but that's beside mm. the point. I'm sure Duran Duran actually had the water. But I don't know. It looked fake. Yeah. That, that was fake. Okay. It was fake. All right. Well, first off, I need to do a big, quick apology from the squirrelies. Okay. I am sorry to Benita Core. And the spelling of her name on the image. <laughs> I did not do my due diligence when I was creating the image. I simply went to our show notes and said Benita Core, and that's what Marty said on the phone, on the um, show. And I didn't think anything of it, and then she tweeted and she says, "I've never seen my name spelled that way," and I went, "Oh crap." And that is my fault because I spelled it incorrectly on the show notes from which Tony copied from. I should have gone back and looked. After Tony showed me the image to verify all names were spelled correctly. So that is, I'll put that on me because I was the first one to write it incorrectly. But this is the problem. You did it so that we knew how to pronounce it like you did with uh, Chewin. I knew that was wrong. And I should have gone back and checked her name. Yes. We phonetically write out names in our show notes to try to get them right. For example, our intro here. Uh, with Klaus Teuber, wrote out T-O-Y-B-E-R, so I'd make sure to pronounce it correctly. Absolutely. I was So sorry about that, Benita. We really do appreciate you coming on, and hopefully that will not keep you from coming back. In fact, maybe we owe her the opportunity to come out and hang out with the opportunity to come out. How about <laughs> the opportunity for us to hang out with mm. her at our big strike event at Gen Con this year, which you, sir, have set up and ready on the calendar. It is ready to go on Thursday night at 7 o'clock at the Old Spaghetti Factory. Uh, same place we've had it for the past three, four, four years. Or is it three now? I've lost track of the time. Uh, well, I've lost track of all With time. With the pandemic, it, yeah, it's who all knows. Gone. So once yeah. again, it will. we'll be putting some tickets out to sell those shortly. I'm finalizing the calls. As with everything in life, it's going to be a little bit more. Than it was last year. Last year, our tickets, I believe, were twenty dollars a person. Was it twenty or twenty? Maybe was it? If it was twenty, that was really good. So it may have to go up to twenty-five, just because of the cost of food and everything. Cost, okay. The cost of food, uh, because of uh, the changes in some of the gratuity things like that that are going on. Gotcha. Um, however, you know, we're going to keep it as cheap as we can. I mean, Marty and I are not here to make money off of. It. Matter of fact, we we don't want to do that. We want to provide you entertainment for that night. In fact, we try to price it so that literally all you're doing is paying for the food and nothing really goes in our pockets from that. We are very gracious to have people who will donate stuff for us to give away, uh, which is uh, great for them. And uh, we appreciate them doing that, uh, which means our whole goal is to make something fun and as price friendly as possible so that anybody who wants to attend can attend, get a good meal and have a good time. Right. So once again, the meal will consist of a salad. It will consist of a drink, a either tea, water, or soft drink. It will consist of uh, your choice of an entree being either uh, spaghetti, meat, or plain sauce, or lasagna. And then, of course, ice cream for dessert. And a strike tournament will be held during that event. 
For those who have come, we'd love to see you again. For those who've never had a chance to attend and heard about it in the past, uh, keep an eye out. The tickets will be going up. Uh, we'll announce them in advance what day they'll be going up. But they're going to be going up on our buymeamoonpie.com site. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where we had it last year. Uh, there is a limited number of tickets that will be sold. So you might, it'll be first come first serve. So you might want to grab them uh, while you can. Yeah. And we are lucky enough. We've pushed the time. Last year was at 530. This year, the restaurant gave us seven o'clock. Yes. Uh, Cause I know last year that was tough because people were still on the floor. Mm-hmm. They had other things going on. So hopefully at seven, you'll be good and ready to eat and you will have had a chance to get back to your room and drop things off and then head over for the event uh, afterwards. Oh, okay. That, that's done. So a lot of things happening with that. And then let's see, you and I, we got to make sure we got our hotel, plane, all that. Man, there's too much going on. I just Can, can I take 2024 off? Uh, sure. Just put in for it. And we'll see if we can get it approved. Okay. I would, you know, I'm, I would like to do that. I just like to, you know, just chill out, just relax, have a, have a good time. So you've talked about in our game nights about you and Bert go on and on and on and on and on and on about this movie on Netflix. And it's RRR. And I finally saw it when I was at my daughter's. She has Netflix. That's the only way I get to see Netflix. And I was babysitting her dogs. And I watched it for two nights because it took me two nights to get through it. Mm-hmm. My impressions of it. Fun movie. Outstanding movie from that standpoint. It reminded me of Matrix from, the, from all the action and everything. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Over the top. Over action, the, yeah. Over the top. And I guess what I didn't realize was this supposed to be a movie about their heroes? Yes. I thought it was. See, I picked up on that. I was proud of that. Yeah. What else did I miss? I don't know that you missed anything else. I think it's just one of those that now try to explain it to somebody that who's never seen it, what this is. And it's really hard to do, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I'll have to admit my favorite scene out of that whole movie, and there were a lot of good scenes in there. But I think my favorite was when he was at the um, camp, the British camp, and they said, go uh-huh. arrest that man. Uh-huh. I love that scene. I was, I was like, oh, if this movie continues this, I'm, I'm all in. Okay. It took me a while to remember which part that was. Okay. Yes, yes. I know which part you're talking about. And uh, it's one of those things. This isn't giving anything away. You can tell by the term. It's, it's like a buddy movie, and I like buddy movies. Mm-hmm. But it's deeper than that because there's stuff going on between the two that you as the audience knows, but they don't know about each other, right. which is really interesting. Yeah. And I was like, and the, now they did lose me at the end when they did the whole um, two person thing with his legs all hurt. That oh, come on. That was so cool. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know it was supposed to be this really isn't real. I understand this. You know, this was however they're, they're heroes. But I was like, oh, come on fine he fixed his legs and then he's got the shirt i was just laughing i was like okay this is this it went yeah. over the top for me there but that's fine so i i, I am i'm finally got to i said well marty says i gotta watch it so i watched it well i'm glad i'm glad you enjoyed it and it's you know it's one of this i even enjoyed the musical part with them dancing which oh, yeah. is obviously very popular i mean and those guys are actually dancing they had to learn all that and i watched a behind the scenes with the director and he talked about how uh, the choreographer really put a lot of time into that scene. It took days to shoot that entire thing and about how the actors worked long time to get those the choreography down, which is insane. I'm like, is this sped up or at actual speed? It's like, no, that's what you're seeing is the actual speed of them dancing. And it's and so all the extras in that scene are actually dancers themselves. I believe it. Obviously, because they, they start dancing and everything. 
But it's really interesting how they choreograph and they get the shots a certain way where they bring in the dancers for a certain part and they try to make sure they, I don't know. It's just really interesting how they shot that and how it was actually uh, filmed near a palace in uh, Ukraine. Hmm. They fixed up the outside and was able to shoot outside uh, there, which is where it was done. So anyway, I mean, you know, it's it's a comedy, it's a musical, it's an action movie, it's mm-hmm. a buddy movie. It's just, it's like everything rolled into one. Right. And cinematography. Oh, yeah. I was like, okay. Oh, yeah. The cinematography was, and the action sequences, are they over the top? Yes. yes. But my gosh, they're so well done. And this is in the trailer, so not spoiling anything. But little things like when the guy drives up on the motorcycle and the guy just hits the front tire with his foot <laughs> and it flips up in the air. Then he grabs it and swings it. I'm like, that is so cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or the the one where the um, big British guy grabs his rifle and does his action. I was like, oh, give me. But that's so cool how they did that. That was amazing. Oh, so thank you for recommending that. How much does a bullet cost? Uh, six pounds. Well, it was, so you remember that whole scene and everything? Yeah. So I loved, without spoiling anything, how that kind of resolved at the end. Mm. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. It was so good. <laughs> now I got to go watch it again. <laughs> oh, jeez. So I'm glad you watched it. I'm glad you don't feel like I wasted three of your hours. That's good. Did Donna watch it with you? No, I was I was up by uh, I was up in Rebecca's and Donna was down. I was babysitting some some dogs, and so that's what I got to do. And I was trying to make sure we didn't create any issues with our five dollars. So if I if six pounds is wrong, tough nuggies, y'all. Y'all don't get five dollars on that one. I wanted to point Tony to a certain spot in the movie that I think is just really cool. How it's kind of a thread throughout the movie that's all yeah so great great uh by, by the way uh you still need to go watch super mario in the theater before it leaves dude okay seriously it's just a fun movie see you know more about the the easter eggs and things like that than i do i here's the, i'm not a huge mario fan but i know enough about the character to know what the power-ups are i know that you know there's a raccoon suit where mm. you can fly but i i'm not a big platformer so I didn't play a lot of those games. I, I didn't never, either. I don't think I've ever finished a Mario game, period. Oh, I know I haven't. But uh, what, after I was watching, what was it? They um, did the Crazy Kong, Donkey Kong, where they were racing on the cart. I went and yeah. did that on the Switch. I went and did the Mario Kart. Now, you know Mar- now, you know that's Rainbow Road. You do recognize that. Well, there's Rainbow Road, but there's also the one through the jungle. Yes, yes, there's, yep. Yeah, so I was like, okay. The music is so good. And here's the thing, if you haven't even played through the games... There's still music that you pick up on. It's like, wait a minute, that sounds familiar. Uh, the composer uh, did an amazing job of taking and redoing the old video game music and kind of threading it through the movie mm-hmm. too. The story is is pretty weak. I, it course. is written for kids to be able to understand everything. It's just a fun movie. I just saw today right before we started recording. This is the second weekend it was out. It's guaranteed to break a billion now, which is amazing. So fingers crossed that they look at things like, oh, I don't know, like, Maybe uh, Metroid, uh, Zelda would be cool. So oh, it'd be Zelda. neat if they do some other frog, uh, stuff. Thing is, where Zelda does link talk is the problem. But, and please don't make it live action. No, please don't. No. El- Illumination does an amazing job with their animation. That's one thing. Seeing it in the theater is really nice because the animation is really, really good. Do animation. It needs to be done that way. Yeah. So as we're talking about this, this brings up a point. We are trying, hoping, crossing our fingers putting work into bringing back one of our favorite shows, streaming, screening, 
or steaming with Dan Patrice and Chris Kirkman. We're trying. We're trying. We hope. We've, we, we've talked to them. They're wanting to do it. It's now just schedules. And in fact, if we do it, it would actually be very soon after this episode because we need to get this done before the May movie start because the first movie is first week of May. Mm-hmm. That's the first big, big blockbuster. So our goal is to have those guys back on. If you're listening to this in June and that didn't happen, sorry, we tried. <laughs> so uh, they, they were on board. Uh, obviously, we had to put it on hiatus because of crazy release schedules during the whole pandemic and everything like that. But it seems like I have good release schedules now, so hopefully we can start doing that again. This is going to be more of an off episode uh, like Tony and I do with our vidcast. Uh, I think we're going to do something like that where we're going to have them on screen uh, with us, which will be released on YouTube and on audio. So it will not be a regular scheduled uh, episode as we've done in the past. It will be an own special thing. So completely steaming. Gotcha. Completely steaming. It's completely streaming, but it will be steaming. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. All right. So let's talk about some, some, some actual game stuff here. So I've been a big fan of CCGs like you for many, 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 many years. And one of the hot ones out right now is Flesh and Blood. It's been out for quite a while. The thing is with Flesh and Blood, why are you looking at me like that really funny? Because we've played this. I We've never played Flesh and Blood. I thought we played Flesh and Blood. Okay. You keep talking. I'm going to go look the it up. The card game? If we did, then I'm just going to go ahead and stop now and put myself in a home because it's a CCG. I bought decks to sit down and try to learn how to play, and we could not figure out how it works because their rules are not good. Yeah, you and I played this. Flesh and blood? Yes. We we got two packs a while back. And, yes. And did we, we ever really play a game? Yeah, we sat down. We played a game. It took a little bit. We tried. Yeah, called chaining and queuing. We had to understand the chains. Yeah, we've played this. Because the reason why is because I still was very confused about because I know we didn't finish that game because we're extremely confused. But I had a friend of mine at work who's learned the rules and came and taught me. And I, my fear was going to be like Magic the Gathering, and it's really nothing like that. It is basically you have a hero that you pick to play or a character you play. You're given a special weapon, and you have equipment like a helmet, gloves, etc. that you're equipped with. Uh, on your turn, uh, you're going to take a couple actions. You're going to spin cards from your hand that uh, in the upper left-hand corner has a number of dots, one, two, or three. Uh, you can uh, spend those cards to build up a resource pool. You then use that resource pool to play cards. Usually it's putting cards into play like an attack card to begin an attack where somebody else can defend. Uh, you're trying to do damage to each other. So that part's kind of standard. You're trying to whittle each uh, person's life down to zero. But there's some really cool things about this. Number one is the resource mechanic. Also, the cards that you use to pay for resources aren't discarded. They go to the bottom of your draw deck. Uh, that is really cool and very different. You know, like Marvel mm-hmm. uh, Marvel LCG, when you spend a card as a resource, it's put in your discard pile, that's it. Here, you're spending as a resource, but if you go through your deck, you'll eventually get to that card again. And there are multiple versions of the same type of card, meaning there may be two cards with the exact same name. One gives you more resources, but the text isn't as good or the ability isn't as good. One may give you less resources, but the ability is better. So they kind of balance between those two things. So I've played two games of this. Is it a game I'm going to hop into and invest in? No, it's a CCG, uh, a trading card game or whatever. Don't have the money or, or time to get into that. But with some pre-constructed decks 
Heck yes, I will sit there and play during lunch because I enjoy my time with it. And I, I understand the appeal of flesh and blood now, and it is not a Magic the Gathering clone. And in episode 231. Oh, boy. Ep- uh, on June 15th, 2021, where we have Unfathomable, Mayscape, Mandela Stones, Imperium Legends, Vienna Connection, and Flesh and B- Blood, you say uh-huh. the exact same thing. I just listened. Do you, uh, while you were talking, I actually went back and listened to how you said this is not a Magic the Gathering. Is it called Prevagen? Yes, Prevagen. <laughs> That's the memory thing? That's the memory thing. Yes, this was the one where we did the Pepsi Peeps taste test. Uh, we had did the. I swear we sat and played that and was very confused. And I don't even remember finishing the game. Well, we talk about it for seven minutes and maybe that's what we say. Oh my God. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Have we ever talked about Disney Lorcana? Oh, no, no. We've mentioned it, I think, during the Gen Con episode or when it was announced. I can't remember when we first saw this. But no, we've, we've never uh, talked about that. So go ahead, okay. talk about that. So <laughs> that's another CCG that's coming out from Robinsberger. We did tease that. They finally released their like quick start rules, their two-page rules. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, Tony, I'm not very impressed. Oh, really? <laughs> no, I am not. Uh-huh. I, so you have a deck of cards. Mm. Your goal is to collect 20 lore. So you have some characters that you could put into play. One of the actions is is to exhaust them, tap them, whatever it is. And they have like lore icons on the card. So you collect that many lore when you do that. But then you can also use those cards to attack other people's characters. But it's not attack. It's some more friendly word basically to get the other cards off the table. It's not kill them. <laughs> you know, It's something else to remove the characters from play. But the thing is the resource mechanism. So there are some cards that have this thing called an inkwell icon in the upper left. On your turn, you can take one of those cards that has an inkwell icon, inkwell icon and put it face down on the table. That goes to your resource pool. You can tap those resources to play cards. Sound like another game? Hmm. Yeah, it kind of does. And what is that? I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Tap resources. Well... Number one, I know it sells was Marty. That's magic. But thing is, in magic, there are only certain... Well, I guess this is the way. There are certain cards. Well, there are cards that can be played as mana, and that's about the only thing they do. But here, some cards are denoted to be able to be played as a resource, but they could be other things too. So to me, it's kind of a mishmash maybe between magic and uh, the War of Warcraft. I was going to say, that's what that was sounding like, yeah. So World of Warcraft is any card could be a resource, right? Right. But some of the cards were quest cards where there were like special things that you could do with them, but you could play one per round. Mm -hmm. I don't understand why, if you're going to do that, why not make every card just playable as a resource? I I would love to talk to designers like, why do only certain cards can be played as a resource? Why not any card at that point? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Unless it's a deck building thing. Again, it worked so well in World of Warcraft. Any card could be a resource. Your, it, it was, was your risk. One per turn. Yeah, yeah. It was your risk. You decide how you want to play them. Exactly. But then uh, with the quick start rules, it's literally, it's like, well, you know, you can play a card, try to get some lore, or you can attack other people's exhausted cards and, and that's the game. So I know that's quick start. I know this is supposed to be for younger people to play and understand the arts really cutesy and everything like that. But until I play it right now, it just doesn't sound mind-blowing to me at all. Okay. It sounds like something else you've played. It does, but it sounds like I like the other thing better. Okay. 
All right. Well, let's, uh, once again, maybe this is a way to ride in the wave of people enjoying a certain thing. Maybe they don't want to play the Pokemon game or, or magic. They feel like they want to play the Disney game. Pull in the money. If you got money and people want to buy it, that's fine. Go for it. Yeah. But something that maybe you and I wouldn't get into one kids are gone. But I guarantee you, if I was going to try to get my 12 year old daughter to possibly play a game like this, it's on the table. Now, there's going to be some pre-built decks. I feel for sure, Tony, you and I will probably, I think it comes out of Gen Con, we'll probably pick up a deck or two so we can try it out as trading card game fans, CCG fans, just to see what the rules for deck building are and et cetera, and, and just see how it kind of plays from there. Again, not something I would invest in, but I assume we probably will get a couple decks just to play through and see how it is. But right now, face value, just reading the rules and never playing it, I wasn't really blown away by it. I'm hoping there's more to the game than what I'm seeing in the rules that I read. Mm. Okay. Well, when's this thing coming out again? Uh, August. August. I think I think they'll have stuff at Gen Con. Okay. Yep. We'll, we'll give a, we'll give our impressions over there at Gen Con. Okay. Yes. Yes. Uh, so when we were at Gen Con last year, I talked to the new owner of a company mm-hmm. that was used to be called Metallic Dice Games, and they have a new name. They've changed it called Fanroll. Much better name. Fanroll. Well, Metallic Dice Games pretty much tells you you got games. Except they sell more than Metallic Dice. Right. They sell more. So Fan Roll. And you can head over to the Fan Roll website. There will definitely be a a clicky thing in our show notes so that you can go over to that link and take a look at their products. Because as with everything, and our code is still good, RDTN10 will get 10% off. Actually, this is the first time we've announced this. Yeah, but... When we worked with Metallic Dice previously, we had this. Was it the same code? It was, uh, no, we had a longer code. He shortened it All up. Right, so don't, don't say what it is because it was just confusing. But right now it's RDTN10. Mm-hmm. You get 10% off all products. But they sent us some, uh, me some sample products that I thought was really cool. They're uh, Misfit bags. That's what I was going to point to. That right there. Everybody loves, everybody loves a mystery box. Mm-hmm. And uh, we actually received Misfit dice the last time they sent us something i never saw the problem with them but that's just me no so here's what this is these are like booster packs of dice with random dice that are in the bags there's a uh, a bag of a metallic dice one of uh mini polyhedrals and one of just uh regular resins now the regular resin is a seven die set standard like kind of like D D set for 10 bucks the mini polyhedral dice are two full sets, and then the metallic dice are 20 bucks for one set. But as soon as Vanessa saw this, she's like, oh, this is stocking stuffers. Mm-hmm. Every year, we will order these and put these into the boy stockings, and they are super nice dice. And like you said, people love booster packs and uh, mystery boxes and stuff. And I think these will be a huge hit for giveaways and just giving to your friends and just buying for yourself. Right. I even backed one of, they had a Kickstarter that they did the liquid core dice. Mm-hmm. I backed that. Lord knows where they are now. I, they're somewhere. They're somewhere around here. But I really like the little liquid core that when you'd roll it, you see the core move around. That's kind of cool. I thought yes. that was, that was fun. So those are out there. Go over to the fan roll. Um, used to be called metallic dice games. Be sure to put in that RDTN 10 code to get 10% off, but I am with you. Something about those little booster packs. What? It's gambling. Let's face facts. It's gambling. Yeah. You don't know what you're going to get. It's That's what you're buying, the anticipation. 
And by the way, this code isn't just for those. This code mm-hmm. is off anything on their site. They have dice trays, gorgeous metallic dice, a lot of good acrylic dice. So again, uh, if you're just looking for some good dice sets, uh, go check out uh, fanrolldice.com uh, and discount code RDTN10. As we mentioned on the Squirrely Awards, Game Toppers is an official sponsor right now of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. That's right, Sucker. You. Yep, I agree. RDTN15 gets you 15% off on some of his incredible mats. Game Toppers are a high-quality gaming table cover designed specifically for board game enthusiasts. These covers are made from durable materials and feature a smooth playing surface that enhances gameplay and protects your table from scratches, spills, especially if you're playing games with Marty, and other damage. Game Toppers comes in a variety of sizes and styles so they can fit perfect to your table and gaming needs. They are easy to set up and take down, making them a great option for both casual and serious gamers. In addition to their functional benefits, Game Toppers also add a stylish touch to your gaming setup. They come in a range of colors and designs, as I've already mentioned, and they will fit your decor and personal taste. Overall, if you are a serious board gamer, a Game Topper table cover is a great investment that can enhance your experience and protect your table for years. That's GameToppersLLC.com. And yes, that is an AI generated because Kevin did not get that special treatment in previous episodes. That was AI generated? Yes, it was. Dude, I honestly thought you were reading that off the website. They may have scraped his website. I don't know, but I went in and typed that in. Wow. I hope Kevin doesn't hear this because it just shows he doesn't need us. But what AI doesn't say, though, is that you can get 15% off by using code RDTN15. That's right. If you want one of those game maps or accessories, when you place your order, make sure it says, is there a promo code for this? And you go, yes, there is. RDTN15 gets you 15% off your order. That is not AI generated. That's directly from us because we love you, the listener. All right, the game that we want to cover in this segment is a GMT game. What? Stop. Don't skip to the next segment, y'all. This is not that typical type of GMT game. There's not like little men that you're pushing around and you're not fighting each other and it's not overly complicated and there's not war. In fact, Tony, there's no violence at all in this game. In fact, it's just a simple, fun co-op game. Why are you not in a Scottish accent? (laughs) Because I, I, I can't. Now that you said it, I was sitting there and trying to, and the only thing I could think of is doing Fat Bastard from uh, Austin Powers. Get in my belly. Get in my belly. Get in or, my uh, belly. Because <laughs> um, I was thinking. Oh, okay, so Squirrel, real quick. So yeah. um, when we're recording this, I, had, I was playing um, Chauffeur for Donna today. I was sitting there waiting for it to come out of the courtroom in downtown Charlotte, and all of a sudden, wait a minute. Is, is there something we need to know about? Did you have to bail her out for something, or no, 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 no? You know, she, she's a she works for a lawyer in oh, yeah, state right. planning, okay, okay. And, uh, and so yeah, she was she was having to file some paperwork with the court system. But I'm sitting there in the car on Third Street in Charlotte, which is next to the in the parking spot, and all of a sudden, I hear these bagpipe sounds. Ah, and I'm like, I'm like, what? What you know? You know how that is. When you hear bagpipes, you either think of a funeral or the Scottish clans going across the moors to to attack people or something like that. It was it was freaky. 
So, and, and it's and, St. Patty's Day, I know. And, and it's St. Patty's Day, which I know is really weird for people because people are like, wait a minute, it's like the middle or late April. Why are y'all recording on St. Patty's Day? Because y'all, you probably just heard, we've had different episodes come out, like the squirrelies and stuff, and we just played this game called Banish the Snakes, and Tony and I wanted to talk about it and record before we forget <laughs> uh, anything about it while it was kind of fresh on our mind. So yeah, so if you didn't skip ahead because it was a GMT game or skip ahead because you didn't want to hear a squirrel moment from Tony, this is Banish the Snakes from Kevin McPartland and Jerry Shiles, like I said, a GMT game. But again, it's not a war game or a fighting game. It is an historical game, a co-op game where you're playing as St. Patrick or one of the other saints of that day as they went into Ireland and was basically trying to convert people from paganism to Christianity. And that literally is the whole theme and the whole goal of the game. And Tony, when I first saw this, I mean, immediately I had feelings of, oh, then it's kind of like pandemic. Instead of trying to eradicate diseases, you're basically trying to convert tiles from one type of a tile to another before different events would happen that would cause you to lose the game. But that's kind of like pandemic also. Yes. The title's misleading. Banish the snakes. I was thinking maybe we're going to play whack-a-mole with the snakes or something. Mm -hmm. We were going to be St. Patrick. And you read the history. So we know that this is not true. We know that this didn't happen about him banishing snakes and leading the snakes out of Ireland. But it is based on the converting of the pagans over to Christianity. Now, with all GMT games, you always, you, you do, you take that <gasps> gasp, that moment, because you know the rule book's going to come out and it's going to be hefty. Typically. That's the way it is, typically. Yeah. But for this game, don't be scared. It's not that bad. It's actually very straightforward on what you got to do in this game. The actual play, how to play the game is, the, the full rule book's 14 pages, but pages six to 12 is the full set of rules. And it's big. It's got pictures. It's big words. It's yeah. Compared to other GMT rule books, this is really straightforward. And to be honest with you, Tony, if we would have played this game and you didn't tell me it was from GMT, I wouldn't have thought it was from GMT. Mm -hmm. Except for all the stickers I had to put on the blocks. And I will say that if you get this game, it'll, you'll spend an hour to 90 minutes putting little stickers on blocks. So that's you could take that as a pro or con, <laughs> or or share it out. But if you're meticulous about your stickers and you don't want other people, you know, misaligning them with their old sausage fingers, then do it yourself. But mm -hmm. you could share that, out that effort for everybody to place them. But one of the things that's very important, and and when we talk about these games, and I think you know, you talk about stickers, you just kind of gloss over it, which I asked you about. Was there certain combinations you had to do because they're front and back? And you said yes. So it's very important to do it correctly. Yeah. Actually, on the sticker sheet, it'll point to two different stickers. And it'll say, these two go on the front and back of a block. And it tells you what color block it's supposed to go on the back of. Mm -hmm. But I've, I've done a few of their stickers before. So I kind of know how to read the sticker sheets now. Now, there, there are some setup in this game that I had some kind of issues with. And we'll talk about that in our final thoughts. But what you're looking at is basically a, a map of Ireland. And there's a bunch of spaces on the board to put out these blocks. And these blocks represent people. There are people, well, <laughs> all of them are people. But there's actually 
blocks that represent people, then there's blocks that represent chieftains over the people, kings over the chieftains, high king over the entire country, and then each of the spots, there's druids. And again, the goal of the game is to take each of those people blocks from their pagan side and flip them over to their Christianity side. If you can flip all of them to the Christianity side, you immediately win the game. Uh, but there are several ways that the game can end before then, and then you have to measure your victory. You would look at a, a numeric value score to basically uh, see how you did. But Tony, as we players took their turn and everything, each of us have are playing as a saint of that time. There's different saints you can choose from. You pick one. Some of them have special abilities. And when it comes to your turn, it kind of flowed like a pandemic turn for a, a, a player turn. Yes, it's it's simple. There's draw your card, take your actions based on how many other actions you have a, available to you. It's not a set number, so that that adjusts over the game. And then pass the turn marker, the player eight. You can't get any simpler to the, than that. Typically, everybody has four actions to spend on their turn. Yes, unless their zeal drops down, then their actions drop. So it's important to keep up with that on your your chart. But unlike Pandemic, you always have four basic actions. So that is something you have to consider in this game. That's another difference, Marty, which is something I like. You know, whenever, the hey, I'm not feeling too good. I can't take as many actions, you know? No, that's true. And the actions are very straightforward. Move, go from one spot to another. You can, the biggest thing that you're going to be trying to do is actually spend an action point to try to convert a person. And here's where you get to have a dice roll. Now, Tony, this is different than pandemic. You actually are rolling dice. Not everything is automatic. And this is probably part of the game that has to take a little bit of understanding is how to figure out what number you're trying to beat. Let's say you're trying to convert a person. There's actually a value on there. It could be like minus three. But they're influenced by other people in the area. And that's the th theme that they're trying to get across. Every area has a druid. This druid is, is a pagan. And whatever the value of the pagan is, is added to every other piece in that area as a negative influence that you're trying to overcome. So well, it's like, well, crap, then I need to get rid of the druid, which is one of the things you can try to do. But then there's also a chieftain in the area that affects the people. And then there's a king and the whole zone that affects each of the chieftains. And then there's a high king that affects every king in Ireland. So there's a hierarchy of depending on who you're trying to convert in order to figure out what number it is you need to beat uh, in order to convert. But the whole goal is just to worry about the people at the bottom, but the people above them could affect them. Well, they're, they're the influence. Yes, they're, they, they are basically influencing. And when you start the game... All these druid tokens are face down and you can't even try to convert anybody in there until you first try to convert a druid. And when you do is when you get to flip it over to see what its value is. Well, the druids are the priests for the pagans. It mm -hmm. makes perfect sense. Very thematic. Mm -hmm. And I love my sheet before me that, that tells me how healthy I am, how many action points, because I can sit here and once the druid is shown, then I can track exactly what die roll I'm, I need, which seems simple, Marty. It seems like a simple thing to add to a, a player sheet, but it is so helpful. It helps you understand where you need to be when you're doing this conversion. Yeah, so each, each person has a player mat where they're going to put their patron card 
that you can use to track your zeal, which is kind of your health, the actions you have. And at the very bottom, uh, like you said, is a little track. So let's say that I want to convert a guy that's minus three. Well, there's a, there's a um, druid here who has a value of minus two. So I add that to minus three. Okay, I'm at minus five. So that means I got to beat a minus five. Okay, well, one other thing you can do is spend additional action points to drive that number positive. So if I spend an extra action point, I can go to minus four. Spend another one, go to minus three. That's the number I try to beat. I roll the die. If I'm greater than three, yay, I succeed. I get to flip the person over that I'm trying to convert. If it matches, nothing happens. But if I lose, if it's less than, then I lose a zeal and a dolmen, a D-O-L-E-M-A-N chip comes into place, which is basically a negative one disc that affects everything that you ever try to convert in that region. And the only way to ever get rid of it is if you get lucky and roll a six on a conversion, then you can remove that dolmen disc from the area. So there's a bunch of little math that you have to do. And this little track at the bottom of the player mat helps you determine what you actually need to roll. You didn't do a good job preaching. And, and, and there was an uprising. Your sermon was not good. The people came after you. Oh, you're trying to be diplomatic. I see what you're doing. Yeah. It is. You, you got <laughs> no, to. You didn't. That's good. No, that's good. Uh, because if you can attempt to convert a uh, druid and you actually convert it, the space that he leaves behind, another action you can do is build a church. Now, the first level of the church you build doesn't really have any influence of the area. It's too small. But on a future action or somebody else's action, because you can only do this once per uh, your turn, you can upgrade that church and go to a level one, then a level two, and highest is a level three. And each one of those levels adds to the die roll that you're going to make, making it easier for you to convert. So like you said, Tony, theme, the bigger the church, the more influence it has over the people of that area. And just like in pandemic, you can give or take a card. Like trade a card. Trade a card, yeah, yeah. give or take a card. Yeah. Yep. So I found that some of the special powers that the um, St. Patrick and them had kind of mimicked a little bit of pandemic. So it'd be easy for people to understand. I mean, there was the one saint that had the dispatching capability, and then you had some that got special ben benefits. But let's just say you were having a terrible time preaching. You, you're fumbling with your words. Life is going bad for you. You cannot convert anybody over. You're just not inspiring the flock. The flock is leaving you and you're getting stoned. And they, they finally, guess what? Something bad happens to you. As long as you have another saint ready to go in your play area, your game doesn't end. I enjoyed that, Marty. I like that tension. Saints can die. Your saint will yeah. die. Everybody's saint will die because eventually, just over time, you've you've lost all your zeal. Right before that final breath, you can take what's called the final effort. You're going to make one final conversion, and when you do, you get to add a plus two to your roll. But when you make that final effort, you've pretty much succumbed to this world, and you're passing on. And when you do, you actually would be able to take a new saint that you might have, and we'll talk about how you get, get a saint in a second, and put it into play. Now, if you don't have a saint, the other side of your player card just has something called an acolyte, uh, which is basically a, a basic person with no special abilities. So you could play as them, but you really want to try to get another saint and, and play a saint. And there's a bunch of saints in the, in the event deck, which is how you can get additional saints. 
You could trade saints between people and stuff. So know that saints will die. And that's kind of thematic too um, over the course of the game is that saints will come and saints will go as they, because this is spanning hundreds of years. Yeah, they'll go marching on. <laughs> well done. Thank you. Thank no you. Go, march, yeah, with this, uh, go marching in, I guess it would be the actual term of the song. That's true. Marching in, not marching on. Yeah. Yes, the saints. So those are your actions as a player with your ultimate goal, trying to convert people over. That's how you're going to win the game. Yeah. And what's interesting is you don't have to convert over chieftains or kings or the high king. It's only the people. It's just that, well, if you happen to try to convert a person, you also, and there's a chieftain there and he has a negative value, he's going to affect the conversion for your person. You go, well, crap, I need to convert the chieftain. Well, if you're going to convert the chieftain, then you got to add in the king's value to convert the chieftain. You go, well, crap, I need to convert the king. Well, if you're going to convert the king, you need to add in the high king's value to the king, plus anything else in his area, like domains and, and other druids that might be in the area. Even though you want to start at the lowest level, you might want to start converting some of the higher kings and stuff because you get rid of their negative attributes and they possibly, by converting them to Christ the Christian side, could give you a positive influence also. So you're, you're constantly doing this tug of war uh, across the map because the events, which we haven't talked about yet, will be constantly messing with you and leadership will change. And they'll go from Christians back to pagans or more Druids may come on the board, which makes the state of the board in constant flux. So for attention, other than dice roll, the event cards, those bring tension to the game. As at the beginning of your turn, you play an event card. And this is something both Marty and I really liked. The previous event card will tell you based on an arrow on it, what the resolution of your unseen event card is. I've not seen this in any of the type of pandemic games, Marty. They have been, this was, this was very interesting for me because I could plan uh, looking ahead like, oh man, m your card that you had to deal with is showing me a blue arrow. And there's, there's red, orange, yellow, green, and blue. Blue being the less impactful event where red is, it's a bad day. If I see that your card has a blue on it and it's going to be my turn, as I'm planning or thinking forward to my event, I might be like, okay, I'm not going to be as impacted as I think I will be. So I should be able to think through my, I'm going to be able to spend a lot of my actions converting people. But if I see red, then it may all go out the window. And that happened to us a bunch of times. Yeah. And where, yeah. Crap's getting ready to hit the fan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but no, I do like that because that means every card, uh, some of them only have one event. That means regardless of what arrow it is, you do that one event. But then some has all these multiple events based on color codes on the card. And so that means every time that you play the game, because the events deck shuffled every time, the pairing of the event cards is going to be totally different, mm -hmm. meaning the game is going to play different every time you play. What's also interesting, too, is as you play the game, you have three decks of cards set off to the side of the table. And there is a paganism a marker that moves down a track and events say will maybe advance that marker when it advances like into the the england portion of this track you have a small set of four or five cards of england cards that get shuffled into the event deck right then and there and typically those aren't very good either so those additional events that come into your deck and then it'll slide to the next zone uh, and the next deck is added then uh, there's a there's a scotland zone and the final deck is added 
And if it keeps moving beyond that point, there's actually a game end. And if it moves to that, the game just immediately stops. So that is another way the game can actually end. But there's additional cards being shuffled into the deck. And from what I saw, Tony, none of those were very good. Right. It's a level of impact. I would say that. So in Pandemic, as everybody can associate to it, all these cards are a, a, could be a minor epidemic for you, epidemic mm. card. Everything has an impact to it. And you talked about getting to the end of the paganism track. That's your outbreak track in Pandemic. That's the game end. If you ever make it to the end of this, you're going to lose. However, with this game, you want it to progress because if your event deck ever runs out, you lose the game. So you need to add cards back in. And it's not like Pandemic where you reshuffle card or put cards back on top unless certain actions require you to do that. And that those are special cards that occur. For those very familiar with Pandemic, the event deck, it's just like infecting the, infecting the board. Here you are, you are reacting to events that as it progresses, it can create issues for you if you let it run out. So that is another tension because I'm sitting there in our game. I was counting the event cards to see how many more rounds we've got versus how many people we had to convert and were we going to be successful enough to do it? Because to be just like in any of these games, I'm looking, I'm like, there's no way there is nothing we can do to win this game. We're done. It's one of those things like, okay, or maybe we can advance it and get some more, get a better chance at it. But I think it's very important that people realize that this deck of cards is always going to be messing with you. And, and sometimes it, it just, it's irritating because you just spent all this time clearing things out and then it does something to you that really, really stinks. And that might put some people off. I would think there's probably more randomness in this game than there is in Pandemic. Yes. Because you have the die roll, automatically random. The event deck is brutal, y'all. There are times where we would have positions or spots cleared out and an event would say, oh, this spot over here, go replace two people with two pagans. Or, you know, oh, you don't have a church built down there? Then go throw a druid down in there, sort of just like crap. Then we have to go back to that area and and do that again. But the event deck is also where you get what you call keeper cards. These are cards that might be something that you can tuck under your player board that's good for you. Hey, you get to have a chance to reroll. Or keeper cards that might give you a plus one against druids or plus one against leaders, et cetera. Or, Tony, that's where the saints are. If you happen to draw a saint on your turn, you get to keep it, tuck it underneath the player mat, and when you die, that's the saint that you will now be playing from then on. Another item that I found very interesting in this game was the hierarchy of the high king and the kings and the chiefs because if an event card ever came up and removed one of those leaders... The other ones would get promoted to the next seat on the council. And I, I know it's the next area. So that can help you because you may have converted a king and the high king gets displaced. Well, now the, the king is now in his position by luck and that will then help you. Mm-hmm. So that, that kind of helped. That was an interesting twist to the game as well. So going all the way back to where you were talking about the various levels and how you need to do it. So people are probably sitting there thinking, well, why don't you just try to shoot for converting the people and try to make the die rolls? You could do that. We didn't do a good enough job of uh, maybe pushing our die rolls, in my opinion, during our game. But here, you know, this is why you want to convert these kings, not only to help you out, but they may be promoted and that can really help ease the game during the play. So those are events that are in the deck as well. So it's that was that was kind of 
fun watching watching a king get um, deposed or whatever the term is abdicated is it abdicated I'm not he gets axed <laughs> he gone he's he gone he, he replaced with somebody else so yeah converting a uh, a leader and these pieces are color coded all people are green all leaders whether it be chieftains or kings high kings are all blue and they're randomly put out on the board and in fact you you have a you have a couple bags of uh, people and leaders and when you're told to replace them you just blind draw out of a bag and then uh, put them down uh, onto the board and you'll you'll be doing that a lot during the game all right so we kind of covered the entire game and that's kind of how it plays so what are our thoughts on it we had mixed feelings around the table uh, Mark said you know what I think I, I think I prefer pandemic I think I like pandemic better Bert said, I'm sick of pandemic. I really like this one. Um, but I haven't heard your thoughts yet. So if you were like, ah, man, should I go out and buy another game that's kind of pandemic-ish or just play pandemic? What do, you, what do you think? Okay, so we have the Star Wars Clone Wars pandemic, which we really enjoyed. Yep. Enjoyed. The War of Warcraft pandemic, Yep. which was, which was really good. But as far as if I were to put this in comparison with them, I would probably, I would put this on the table first. I actually think it's easier to explain this to people than the other pandemics. Mm. Okay. And, and, and only because as long as you understand the hierarchy of the points for people, they'll get it very quickly because it's not a hard teach. Event happens, do your actions, Pass the marker. Yeah. And I know I'm simplifying it, but that's it. That's really all there is. It is. I think the biggest thing is when I want to convert somebody, what's the number I need to beat? Because a lot mm -hmm. of pieces on the board come into play. Is there a church there? Is there a druid there? Is there a dolmen piece there? And all those take in consideration depending on who you're trying to convert. And there is a, a sheet that somebody has made on BGG that I printed out that is really helpful. And once we understood it, there's also an influence. You, everybody gets a player card. One side has all your actions. The other side has an influence diagram. And Tony, you said, you know, okay, after reading through this sheet, this little card makes total sense. And it does. Once you understand and can read this influence diagram card that everybody has, it makes total sense when it's time for you to do a roll and what you need to roll. Oh, we didn't mention this. This is really kind of cool and thematic too. When a saint dies, there's a grave put there in that space. Mm -hmm. One of the actions you can do is take that grave and flip it over. Now, a grave gives you a plus one to all your rolls. The other side is a relic, but the relic will give you anywhere from a zero to a plus three. So you do you take a chance and flip it over and it might be a zero, but it might be something good. And if you flip it over, it's a plus three. And at that point, once you have that relic, a saint can actually carry that relic to different areas to give them a plus three in whatever area that relic is in, which is really cool too. We mentioned the, the losing of going through the event deck or going to the bottom of the paganism marker, kind of like having all the outbreaks. And if your acolyte dies, the game immediately ends as well. If you're an acolyte, Marty, I don't think you can put a saint in play. Can you? Yes, you can. If you, you ever, can? Okay. if you ever, uh, it never did happen to us because we were really good making sure everybody had a saint. If you're an acolyte and then you happen to draw a saint, you can immediately put it into play mm. and flip it back over and play as that saint. Yes. But what happens is eventually you run out of saints out of the deck and then and then you have to become an acolyte. That's your only choice at that point. And I don't think people need to worry so much. Um, we're having fun with the theme of this. 
but this is really, you, it, it's not going to beat you over the head with it. Cause really all you're trying to do is flip blocks. And it's interesting. So I read the history on this. This is not like a crusade type game, uh, which is obviously, you know, a, a very violent time. In fact, the, the history book in here actually goes into the, the thing as it was very, very peaceful. I didn't realize this, Tony. St. Patrick was captured as a child and was put into slavery. And uh, later on in life, he escaped, uh, went back to uh, England and uh, became a priest and then decided to go back to Ireland where he was held as a slave in, in order to try to help people there. And actually went through and talked about how it was a very peaceful sort of thing. They weren't strong-fisted. They kind of went there just try to help people out. And along the way, they were teaching them about what, the, what they knew. And in fact, dying for the cause back then, you know, being a martyr was a big thing. That's the way some people became saints. Well, people weren't being persecuted <laughs> for their Christianity. So they came up with new types of martyrdom. And one of them was like white martyrdom. And there was another one. But one of them was like fasting, extended periods of fasting and stuff. And there were actually event cards, Tony, that came into play. One was called white martyrdom because that was an actual event that happened during that time. Mm. So my whole point of this was saying the stuff that you're playing through wasn't a violent period in history, according to uh, the stuff that I read in the rule book uh, for this game. So what did you think? Would you, where would you be on this game? I liked it because I thought the theme was really cool. It was clever. It is very random. Now, this is, for those who's listening, this is a pro or con to you. It's more random than Pandemic because not only you have the vent cards, which could be really swingy and what you do, you do have the dice rolls and you have that random drawing of the tiles to replace other tiles. And because of that, you could have what was a positive influence tile there go away and now there's a negative influence tile that's there. But aside from that randomness, I really, I, I enjoy my time playing it. It was tough, but I also like at the very end of the game is the fact that uh, even though we didn't successfully finish, we didn't convert everybody, there is a table in the back where you can add up and get a score and you can have like a full defeat, a partial defeat, partial victory, a full victory. And depending on where you score in that uh, ranking, you can see what you got over on the game. So I like that. It's not whether uh, like in pandemic, oh, outbreak game over, put it away. It's like, okay, mm -hmm. game over. Let's put up our score and see how really well we did. And then you try to beat it the next time you play. Okay, well, good. Well, you know, if we ever want to play a co-op game, just keep that one in the car and we'll put it on the table. Now, it does play up to six people. There Ooh. wasn't. Ooh. Now, see, mm. I wouldn't like six people. That's just, I wouldn't get to play as often. Uh, it would just take a long time to get. I think four was good. Two is interesting because... This, is a, this was somewhat of a con. The setup was kind of confusing. I think there could have been more details in the setup because literally for five minutes, we were trying to figure out what values on the board meant because there were different numbers around different areas of the board ranging from one to six. And we thought, is that player count? If this has a five and six, does that mean we don't put anything here because we're, we're gamers. We're used to that. Mm -hmm. We think, okay, if there's numbers on the board, this indicates the number of, for the number of players being played. It actually had nothing to do with that. It had to do with some events. It told you to roll a die, and whatever the value of the die was affected a certain area on the board. That took us a little while to get used to. But what I was getting to is, with two players, what happens if both of you are on one side of the map, and an event happens and totally screws up the other side of the map? Then you have to spend your whole turn or so just getting across the map to affect it. At least with us playing four players, we were kind of split evenly across the map, so we were always close to something that was always getting screwed up because of the event deck. 
two player might be tough. You may have to pick the saints that have special teleport abilities mm. like like mine for one action i could transport myself to a certain region i don't know how i could do this but I'll, hey i'm a saint i can do anything i want right yep so and then i think you had the one that had the dispatching capability but i agree two i don't see two here three possibly i think the game would be really tough with three but it's always ratcheted based on the number of times the event cards get pulled over by the number of players that will determine how quickly this game plays through. But like you, like you pointed out, six players for me, you, I might as well bring my Switch. And, okay, so one other thing that really got to me was there was these blocks that I had to put stickers on, these bigger blocks, and I couldn't figure out what they were for. So there were some purple blocks and some gold blocks. In the setup picture, it showed purple blocks under the high king and gold blocks under the king. It's like... So I'm looking at the setup. It says nothing about this. I, I don't understand what this is. So I'm looking through, is it supposed to indicate something? Are they removed at some point in the game? Halfway through the game, I happened to look at the index in the back. And it said, High King, the supreme leader, the blue block is in Ireland. The High King starts the game on its pagan side and is assigned two purple blocks to help him stand out. I went, stand out? So I go to BGG. Yes, the only purpose of those is so that you can easily find where on this board of all these blocks, who is the high king and who was the king. It's just to elevate them a tad off the board so you can easily pick them out. Mm-hmm. That wasn't a setup anywhere. That got to me after a while. So little things like that I wish would have been in the setup because it just made it would have made it way less confusing. You made it harder than it really is. Yes, 100%. 100%. And then when I put the blocks out there, it was easier to find the king at that point because he was just higher than everybody else on the board because you have to mm-hmm. use his value every so often. So for me, I do like this over the base base pandemic. Star Wars clone pandemic, World of Warcraft pandemic, are kind of beast on their own. Uh, I do really like those two. But if you're looking for a, a good three to four player co-op game with some solid theme from GMT, that's really not hard to get into. I enjoyed Banish the Snakes. I would definitely play again, and it will not be uh, leaving my collection anytime soon. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. We got to play a very family-friendly game from Lucky Duck and Cranio Creations. This is called My Shelfie from Matthew Dunn. My little shelfie, my little shelfie. Sorry. I don't even know what that is. My Little Pony, My oh. Little Pony. Sorry. Sorry. The designer, Matthew Dunstan and Phil Walker-Harding. <laughs> I see, when I always think of My Sharona. My Shelfie. Okay, gotcha. That's better. Much better. Yeah, all right. So the all, overall premise of this is on your turn, you're going to be collecting tiles from the center of the board, and you're going to be stacking them in a bookshelf. And there are various types. There's books, there's cats, there's plants, there's board games. And you are going to try to put these in your bookshelf so that you will match a secret objective card that is given to you before the game, as well as organize your bookshelf so that the same colors are in a set near one another. And whoever has the most points at the end of the game wins. Now, the two big things that make this game very interesting is how you get those tiles and how you place them in your shelves. And for that, I'll go over to Marty. Marty, how do you get those tiles? 
No, the most interesting thing is the actual components. You have a plastic shelving unit that each player has. Don't roll your eyes. This is the coolest part. This is the table presence. It's a six by five grid that looks like a Connect Four type component. So you you stick your uh, shelf tiles in the top and they slide down to the bottom. That's freaking cool. That's the important thing here. Okay. So when your plastic pieces break, you can still put them out in front of you laying flat if you want to. But this is the fun part of stacking them like in Connect 4. So you got a board in the middle of the table. On your turn, you're going to draft tiles. The rules for drafting are this. Uh, you can take up to three tiles, one to three tiles, but the tiles that you take before you pick up anything must have at least one exposed side of that tile to be able at to pick it up. At the beginning of your turn. Very That's important. what I said before you pick anything up. All the tiles must have at least one exposed side. But the way you say that, and this is where we had trouble. I'm sorry. If I move a tile and I expose a side before I picked it up, is that side exposed? Oh, okay. Before you begin your turn, the tiles that you're going to try to pick up must have at least one exposed side. Mm -hmm. How about that? That's much better. Thank you. So then you're going to pick them up and then you could drop them in any order, but only in one column on your shelfie. That's it. That's it. That's the challenge. And then, like you said, you got a secret objective that you're trying to meet. Plus, there are some common goals, random goals that are put out at the beginning of the game. Uh, for example, maybe get uh, four. Uh, all the four corners of your shelfie must all be different, or you must have uh, three columns of six to where there can't be more than three different types of tiles in each column. And if you do, and you're the first to do that then you're going to claim a victory point token and they decrease in value as they're claimed over the course of the game. You're going to play until one person completely fills up their shelfie, count up victory points, and that's it. I tell you, as a fun family game that plays in less thirty minute, in less than 30 minutes, I think this is a blast. I think it's Connect 4-ish, but if you like the idea of Connect 4 and stacking things, a little plastic thing, I think it's the gamers Connect 4. And from my side of it, it is the Sagrada and potion explosion. Oh, interesting. Because the Sagrada, you have your secret objective cards. You're trying to yeah. line things up. You have the challenge of how you pick various ones where the dice are random. Here, what some people may choose to do will impact what tiles you'll get. And I think that's very important. So I, re- I look back at Sagrada. I also look back at it from potion explosion because of the people's choices suddenly are exposing tiles that you did not have a chance at getting. That can immediately change your turn. That's where the turns can get long between players because suddenly what you thought you were going to be taking is either gone or now a better option is out there on the table. I really enjoyed the game. I thought it was a blast. And lastly, the place that you draw from or draft from, once there's only four or less tiles left on the draft area, you put all those remaining tokens in the bag and refill the entire board. So it's not like you're starting out with every tile available. You're going to refill the board multiple times during a turn. So maybe the tile that you're looking for, you hope that somebody else goes before you and gets a tile to get down to four less. So the the t- uh, table will refill so you get your first pick. Now, I loved it. I think it's one of those things that you just sit there, you know, if you're among friends eating, having a drink or whatever, you're just kind of chit-chatting and you kind of play the game as you go because it doesn't require a lot of thought. Great for just like a late night game or even with your family. Yeah. So generally, you know, people say it's best with, you know, the two players or three or four. I think this plays well with two, three, or four. I don't see where there'd be anything. Maybe the little downtime waiting between turns. But once everybody has an idea of what they're wanting to do on their shelf, this thing's going to move right along. So I like it for all player counts for that matter For that matter of fact. That is my shelfie 
from Lucky Duck Games, Cranio Creations, designed by Matthew Dunstan and Phil Walker Harding. Five minute initiative is complete. All right, we've only got a few days left. Ignacy's been talking a lot about his new Thorgle the board game. Look, this thing is already uh, funded. At the time of this recording, it's like 338% funded. It's going to be even higher by the time you hear this. So there's no risk. It's going to be out there. It's going to be coming out. It's got some nice miniatures and everything. It's going to be a a Euro-style game. It's not a story-driven game. So you want to kind of go make sure and see if this is the game for you. But I think it will be. I'm excited to play this game. I think the art style looks really cool. But again, I've been reading the graphic novel. So this art style kind of fits the graphic novel I've been reading. Thorgal, the board game, plays one to four players. It's a a cooperative game where you can go on different adventures. There's seven standalone scenarios, and it takes about 90 to 120 minutes to play. But here's the thing, Tony. Scenarios don't necessarily form a campaign. You know, I've said it's like, oh, man, campaign games. I know I just don't have time to do that. That's not the case with this. You can just play a scenario with different groups and and different characters and everything like that. So it literally is just a story-driven adventure that can be done in one sitting. That's not necessarily a a campaign-style game. So that's Thorgal, the board game. Plus, he's going to have some other announcements of other stuff coming out later this year. So to keep up with that and everything else, head over to PortalGamesUS.com. We just had the Easter holiday just pass us by, and one of the things that's uh, celebrated, talked about during Easter is obviously is the Passover, <laughs> and one of those things from, what's so funny? It just passed us by. The thing that came over just passed us over. <laughs> it kind of flows, right? Right? And from the Bible, there's a very popular thing that happened during Passover, and, and that's when uh, Jesus and his disciples uh, had their last supper. Oh, oh, now, oh, squirrel. What's that? Okay, I know this is, but we were on Codenames Live. Yes. And I gave you the clue, Pharaoh. Yes. And you were able to pick up on my clue, Pharaoh 4. And you, I don't know if Tony would know that about Passover and all this. I'm like, yeah, come on. I knew all that stuff. I watched the Ten Commandments. And it was a good clue. I think the clues from that were, there was locust. Mm-hmm. What, what was your what was, was your clue, Pharaoh? Pharaoh. Or was it something else? Pharaoh. Okay, it was Pharaoh. So it was locust. Le- was it leader? I think maybe ruler. it was something like was leader ru- or something yeah. like that. Uh, or ruler, yeah. something, uh, one of those two things. No, yeah, it was a good clue. I got all four of them. So it was, it was not- Moses. Moses was one of yeah, them. Yeah, Moses was on. I'm like, come yeah. on. I, yeah. I could was good. I could have I done commandments, but I don't think your commandments would have pulled you in with the locust. Ah, uh, no, probably not. Because the Pharaoh right. was, you know, he, he was like, hey, 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 you know, I'm not going to do this. You nailed it. It was a good clue. Very good clue. Make sure to go watch us on uh, Tim's uh, Twitch channel. You can go watch that and see the the VOD, the video on demand on that. All right. So anyway, there's a game that came out from DeVere called Jerusalem Anno Domini. Yes, I said Jerusalem. It's spelled with an I. This is designed by Carmen G. Jimenez. <laughs> oh, now, now I've got Monty Python running through my head. Oh, no, no, Domini. Where the monks are walking. Oh, oh but that's not... But that's is it? yeah. But that's not life of Brian. I where that well. Which one was that in? Well, that's Holy Grail. I know, I know, but now that's running through my head. The monks going in. Well, they hitting. were saying some yeah monk prayer. I don't know if they said Anno Domini. Anno 
Wow, I can't even say it now. Can I get back to this? I don't know. Can you? I don't, you keep saying oh. things that's causing me anyway. All right. So Carmen Jimenez came up with an idea of the game where uh, your goal as a player is to try to get your meeples or people as close to Jesus as possible and the other apostles at the Last Supper. Now, come to find out, she's into biblical history and biblical scholars. And so I always pictured it's like, well, it was just them in a room. But she was saying that there are some discussions among historians that, well, there might have been a room, in, in, but it might not just have been them. He was very popular at this time. People wanted to be near him, wanted to see him. So it could have been one of those things where a lot of people were trying to get as close to him as possible during this time. And it wasn't just them secluded in a room with him and his apostles by himself. They were in the room where it happened. Yes, yes. You, so that one just went she over went, your head. She, it just, did. It, Hamilton. It, Hamilton. So explain to me. Hamilton. I've only seen it once, and I don't remember once. anything about it. Okay. Splitter. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> so she had the idea uh, of of this, of trying to have uh, getting your meeples over there to the table. So it was really interesting, Tony, because on BGG, she went through a design diary of this game. Mm-hmm. And she talked about early ideas, and she went and worked with somebody else that helped her with the game. And uh, they told her, look, you need to change the theme. You've got to change the theme because this is just not going to work. It's very niche. and A lot of, a lot of people might be interested in it. She says, no, I refuse to change the theme because I would like to do a lot more of historical or biblical-themed games, which I thought was interesting because in college— Mm-hmm. I took the history of Old Testament and New Testament, which weren't religious studies. Mm-mm. It was just historical. And there's a lot of stuff that went on. And you sit there and think there could be a lot of really interesting conflict games from the Old Testament. When the Hebrews, Hebrews were fighting against Babylonians and the Assyrians, there was a lot of war and stuff going on during that time. So there's a lot of interesting conflicts and political intrigue and games that could be wrapped around uh, that period in time. So it'd be really interesting to see what other ideas they have for, for our games having to do with biblical history. Hey, I agree with you. I took new Testament on your recommendation. So even back in college, you were telling me to do stuff. Did, did you get easy a, Oh God. Yeah. But it was, yeah, okay, it was beyond, good. it was beyond interesting. The, the teacher was amazing. The professor was amazing. And he also would roll it back to life of Brian, Monty Python. Did he really? Yeah, because he knew we knew what that was. Oh, well, and that's true because he would talked about the different Jewish sects, mm-hmm. S-E-C-T-S, during that time, which is what uh, the uh, Monty Python movie makes a whole bit about, about how there wasn't <laughs> just one Jewish community. It was a bunch of different beliefs. Okay, anyway. But like the Sanhedrin, who actually happened to be in this game, by the way. Mm. All right, let's get back to this game. All right, so on this game, this game is, uh, the entire game is played through card play, which I think is really interesting. You have a player board in front of you with a bunch of your meeples on the board and a main board uh, in the middle. Center of the board is basically the table where Jesus is sitting. And by the end of the game, there's going to be apostles sitting around him at a table. And a plus a lot of your followers is going to be sitting there at the table. The goal is to get as close as possible. Tony, what's interesting is, is on your turn, you're going to take a card from your hand and play it. The card has a location icon in the upper left-hand corner. You resolve that location. Then there may be some follower, or there's a follower action at the bottom of the card, and you take that follower action, and then you do everything. There's a couple other things we'll talk about in a second. And then it moves on to the next uh, player. So everything is done through card play. Mm-hmm. Uh, easy. I mean, in the locations, everything is on the left side of the board. It all starts over there. You can do various things. But the biggest thing you're doing is 
These locations give you resources. If you have people there. If you have people there. You may not have people there. You may not be out in the fields gathering the stone or the bread or the fish. Well, how do you get people there? How do you get people? You got to move them from and your board. where do they come from? They got to move from your board onto the main board. One of the locations is Temple. Mm-hmm. That Temple action allows you to pay uh, to be able to take a meeple from your board and put it over in the location. If the location card you play is one of those locations, each of those locations generate a type of resource, either fish, bread, or stone, and you put them into a warehouse that has a limited size. It's not unlimited. You got to be able to, there's only a certain number of spaces that you can hold stuff. Only, but whoa, whoa, but this is very important. This is an important part of the game. And that is you get more space as you get more followers on the main board collecting your resources. But even where you're collecting these resources, that's limited as well. Mm, yes. Yeah. So it's not. And the number of people that you have in those locations will generate that number of resources. You have two meeples there to give you two of that type of resource. But you can have up to three. No more than three. Yes. Do not say that's, a no, that's another Monty Python about the hand grenade. But yes, can I have more than three? But if I need fish and everybody's at the fishing hole. Can I go there too, Marty? You can if you knock out another player and you pay them a coin to do so. Well, there you go. So you can do that. I like that. This is one of those things to where it's not a mean game. So it's like, oh, you knock somebody else. Well, to knock somebody else, you actually have to give them something to move them. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to keep in the theme as like people aren't necessarily being mean to each other. It's just like they're kind of replacing. It's like, hey, look, I kind of want your spot. Here's a coin. You kind of go away and I'm going to take your little fishing spot right over here. Mm. So you can get the resources. You, you know, you got cards in your hand. You've played a card. You got to replenish. Well, there's a spot there that allows you to buy cards. Mm-hmm. At the market. At the market. Uh, you, can, you can do resource exchanges there uh, for between fish, bread, et cetera. There's also denari that you're going to be using as another resource. Uh, so yeah, you can get additional cards from the board. Now, this is interesting. The card on the board at the marketplace is a little bit more powerful. It may have like say two follower actions on the board where your starter cards only have one follower actions. Now the follower actions, there's a ton of them, Tony, right? There's a Ooh. lot of different things that could be done with your follower actions. Uh, there's Please like don't go over up, them all. Please. I'm not. For example, there's like the example of moving up on the Sanhedrin track. The higher you go on that track, the more victory points you're going to get at the end of the game. There's one where you can hear parables where uh, there's a pair where you collect parable tokens and you must start from one and, and go up from there. At the end, the more you have, the more victory points you're going to have. But the really main goal is to try to get your followers from a location over to the table. Mm-hmm. Can't take them from your board to the table. They got to go to the location, then to the table. And I think that was the one thing at the very beginning of the game. I, it, it didn't quickly snap for me. But once mm-hmm. we got into it, one round, oh, okay, I understand where we're going from this. I also like the fact that your followers can't go to the table. You can't just pick any follower. You have to take it from a location where you have the most. Yes, which made it very strategic yes. because there's one of the locations where the resource is worth a lot more than another. You didn't want the most of your uh, uh, people there. You at least wanted at least a tie so you could pull from the other place because it was more expensive to get your followers to that particular location because the resources just generated more money from that one spot. And when you get your followers to the table in the room where it happened, you have to pay the resources that you collected from the locations in order to put them in a certain spot. And you so you've got to match up the row and the columns that allow you to do that. And the farther away from the main table you are, you might get something in return 
which is also very strategic because in putting the apostles, your cards that you've played, after you've played a card, you put it in a slot. And if the icons- A slot on your, on on your, your board, player board. Right. It's one of three slots. Yes. In one of those slots, if you place three cards that match the iconography for the various apostles- In order, too. In yeah. order. has to be in order. You can then move that apostle over to the table, which then that apostle has certain victory points associated with it. And, and the closer you are, the more points you get. So you've got to manage your cards on your board to allow you to move an apostle, which may help you with in-game scoring later. But on near the apostle's table, there's actions that allow you to move those cards around if you don't have them in the right order. Yes, there's actually a rearrange action that allows you to move uh, stuff around and get it to the right order. And some apostles are worth more than others. Like there's one column that's worth six, maybe another one that's worth five. Because at the end of the game, if one of your pieces is right beside the apostle that's worth six, say like Simon, then you get six points. The meeple behind that one only gets five. And the meeple behind that one only gets four. That's what I'm saying. The further you are away from the table, the less points you're going to get. But it was cheaper to place that particular meeple there where, you know, it may have cost you a fish and a bread at that furthest away location. It would have cost you three bread for the closest one. But Judas is also at the table. This is really cool. There's only one Judas. Judas is the only apostle on the board that will give you negative victory points if you're beside him. So you may decide, ooh, look, Tony's over there and got, man, his, a lot of his guys are right up next against the table, and there's one slot that's open. I'm going to turn in these three cards that match the same order and symbols as what Judas's slot is and place him right in front of Tony's meeple, which means now that meeple is worth minus five and the one behind it is worth minus four, et cetera. But I'm sorry, isn't there an action about swapping seating arrangements? Oh, yeah, there is. So, yeah, there, there's other stuff where you could actually go to an empty location at the table or swap two meeples on the board. So, actually, that's where it kind of gets nasty. Yeah. <laughs> I said it's a nice game. There is a place where you can like, hey, um, you, you over there, uh, I'm right I'm right beside Judas. Do you want to swap? It's like, no, well, we're going to swap anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so. hey, don't you need to go to the bathroom? Okay, I'm going to take your seat. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Oops, my bad. You got to sit there beside Judas now. Yeah. So, and there's even there's even a a, uh, a column for uh, Jesus himself, which is worth the most points. If you're sitting right in the spot, right beside the Jesus uh, uh, icon or block, you'll actually get seven points. So that's the the prime spot, but also the most expensive spot on the board. And there's no bonuses below him, so you're uh, right. it, it may cost you less. You'll get less points, but there's no bonuses. Real quick, sum up. Move maples from your board over to the main board. From the main board, the follower locations, move them then over to the table. Various actions will allow you to swap around meeples. You have to get the apostles to the table to score the points. That's the big way to score the points. You're moving along the parable track. That allows you to score some points as well. And Marty has yet to mention the thing about this rock. Was it a rock? token that was your game ending that's the sanhedrin token the sanhedrin token yeah you mentioned that which for me was how i sped up the game i looked at that and wanted to speed it up i like this i like games where there's two ways to trigger an ending 
there's really only one way here, but the game speeds up. As soon as all slots are filled at the table, all, all the apostles, all the apostles are, are filled up at the table, then every turn that Sanhedrin token moves up the track. So it'll hit to the top really, really quick. So you don't need to no longer have to take an action to move it up the track. It actually just moves by itself. And as soon as it hits the top, that triggers the end of the game. There's another unique action that I liked was where I would give you favor. I think it's called favor. Yeah, it is. How does that work? Uh, I would play an action card. The card says, hey, give a favor to another player. And that player will then get, oh, maybe some denarii, maybe get some resources. But on the back of it, it also shows them a location that they can use in place of a card. In place of a card for meeting the requirements of moving an apostle over. You only got two cards there and you're missing one particular icon, location icon. You can use that favor token that was given to you to match that and then move the apostle. But why yeah. would why would I even do that? Why would I even give favors out? Maybe try to make deals. Or it could be the fact that the favor token is on a card that has some really good power, another good power. Like play a follower for free. Yes. So a little give and take there. A little give and take. So you have to watch that. Let's talk about some quick cons of the game and then we'll talk about some pros. There are a lot of follower actions. So there's a lot of little things to learn as far as the different types of follower actions and the icons themselves. Some of them you really have to look closely mm -hmm. and make sure you don't confuse them to something with something else. Over the course of the game, it kind of becomes second nature, but there's a little bit of a uh, learning curve for that. The player turns, Tony, actually could go a little long because a lot of stuff happens on a player's turn. They'll play a card from their hand. They have to resolve the location icons. If you've been upgrading your cards, maybe you've got three follower icons that you can do. So you got three follower actions, so you can create these really cool combos. Then you have the chance to visit an apostle. That's where you turn in three cards to move an apostle over. Then you have a chance to purchase a card from off the board, and then you refill your hands. So there's a lot of actions that could occur in a player's turn. That means that could be a lot of potential downtime for high player count. Assuming that someone does an action that you were planning to do. I didn't find that uh, my, my turns were taking too long. I, I'll mm. admit it took a little bit to get going to understand the game, but once I got into it, I was like, okay, this is pretty straightforward, but I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you there as far as player turns because of all the actions they have to do. But I never found where you would mess up my turn or Mark would mess up my turn and I would have to rethink my whole thing. I pretty well knew mm -hmm. what I was going to do, but then again, I was also set on a, a set strategy of hurrying up the apostles. Because, and I'll, I'll tell you right now, when we were playing, I recognized that y'all were getting all your followers on the board and I was not. And I was like, well, if I get the apostles out quicker, then y'all can't move your followers over to the table and we would all be equal. Right. Probably the biggest thing for me was the iconography of the various actions. Some were very similar in nature, but once you get it and understand this game and understand all the actions, it's all right there in front of you. You just have to remember that new players, you're going to have to walk them through, what is it, 12 follower, the 12 icons or something like that? Right. So, yeah. Pros for me, this is a DeVere game, which means DeVere's production quality is, tends to be very top-notch. Mm -hmm. uh, they really good quality components. I think the art on the cover is absolutely gorgeous. I think the art in the game is really good. I think it's a really unique theme. It's, uh, just so you know, is the theme, are you afraid? Let's say I'll put it this way. If you're worried, is this an offensive game? It is not. Uh, a lot of attention to detail is paid to the subject matter. 
Uh, there's actually a, in the rule books, there are a lot of scripture references to why these actions are there and, and what is going on there. So it's not irreverent uh, by any means at all. It is a Euro game, which is kind of odd for this type of theme and having a Euro game. <laughs> you know, it is straight Euro. I do like the card play. I think uh, the playing of the card, resolving the actions is very good. So it gives you a lot of decisions on your turn uh, when to play a card. So yeah, I, I think it was really clever and very unique for its theme and basically how the game plays. And I just love the idea, get my follower from here to here to ultimately end up here to get me the most victory mm-hmm. points. And see, I could teach this game without even mentioning the theme. There'd be nothing to that. So yeah. So know your room, know your audience, know what you're doing. You can flip it either way. Yes. So here's the thing. Will the theme bother you if you care nothing about that? Nope, not at all. Mm. It's not an in-your-face theme at mm-hmm. all. A lot of euros, when you start playing, you, you kind of forget the theme and it kind of goes away. That can happen with this game too. Oh, easily. There's no, there's no big flavor text, nothing like that that you need to worry about. I mean, yeah, you can dig into it, but all in all, you don't have to. It's a move a meeple to try to score victory points and do it as efficiently as you can using resources. Oh, there is one other thing. Do you like the sticker pieces? If so, you're going to love this game. If you do not like the sticker pieces, you are not going to like that <laughs> as a setup of this game because like every piece could have a sticker on it. Now, I did sticker some things. I stickered all the apostles because they had their names with them and the point values are written on the sticker, which I thought was helpful. Yes. You could also sticker each player's pieces. I did not do that. You could sticker all the resources. I definitely did not do that. Slacker. I am a slacker, but there are stickers if you want to use them, which just makes the game look better. They are optional. I would recommend stickering uh, the apostles themselves because instead of remembering uh, how many victory points is the orange meeple, it's actually written right there and that's on a good the thing. sticker. Yeah, I, I, that's a good thing. Yeah. All right, y'all. That is Jerusalem. Uh, I, Eno Domini from Devere Games, designer Carmen Jimenez. What are you laughing at? That's the, the monks hitting their, their heads. <laughs> but I don't think they're saying Eno Domini at that point. Like you can hear the time. That's just what you picture. You just hear Latin. The Latin. And that's what you picture as a monk hitting themselves in the head. Oh my gosh. We need to have a Monty Python watching party with our audience sometime. That'd be hilarious. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, only if it's a, well, too many good things in each one. Five minute initiative begins in three, two, one. Every once in a while we get to play a game that I know nothing about. That comes a total surprise to me. A few weeks ago, a designer, Ellie Amir, reached out to us and said, hey, I know you guys like two-player card games, which we do, and it just had a card game that that was uh, on a Kickstarter last year that is now available called World Breakers. Now, this is World Breakers Advent of the Kanat. It's a customizable two-player game. Uh, Each of you start with a World Breaker with a unique special ability, a deck of 30 cards. The whole goal is is uh, through taking actions each turn, each player takes actions, your goal is to reach 10 power. That's kind of the goal of the game. So it's kind of a two-player standard type card game. But Tony, we sat down and played this game, and both of us afterwards over went, okay, that was a lot better than what I thought this game was going to be because it seemed pretty straightforward, but once you really get into it, you kind of peel back the layers and find out there's really something special here. And I think that has to do with the design of the cards and the Mm. synergy of the cards. It's not a smash in your face type of game. 
here we, you and I were both sitting there enjoying the combos we were pulling off from the two pre-constructed decks that we had. Cause you can. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about the learn to play stuff later. Cause it is brilliant, but yeah. go ahead. Yeah. Because you can build your own decks, things like that. Understanding the text, how it flowed. There was nothing tricky. Some of the keywords were straightforward, nothing hidden there. They weren't using a lot of terms that you had to go look up. Just the whole process, the flow of it. You know, I love my flow charts. This game just really sung as we were playing it and we got, and I understood what my deck wanted to do. And I think that's what really um, stood out to me. And that's all because if I paid attention to the text on the hero, I would have understood what I needed to do. But I had to get my 10 power one way. You had to get your power another way. Yeah. And and so mine was uh, the, the pre-constructor die deck was more about fighting. Mm-hmm. Yours was less about that and was doing some really cool manipulations in order to get your power. Now, here's how the game is played. So uh, you, each player takes a turn. Uh, and after four turns, you kind of reset and go from there. So there's going to be a start player. They take one action. The actions are really straightforward. You gain a Mythium, which is the resource used in the game, or you can draw a card. You can pay two to gain a standing in any guild. We'll talk about that in a second. Play a card from your hand, attack or develop a location you control. So that's all the actions you have. Take an action. It goes to the other player. And after each of you have taken four, uh, you go to the uh, rally phase where you resolve is basically all your people stand back up and everything like that. First player marker changes, and then you continue on until somebody gets 10. Yeah, the board flips, and now the other person goes first. Yeah, the board flips. So we, so what <laughs> is, there's actually a board in the middle of the table that's like a turn player board, and there's a token that slides back and forth between you two, indicating whose turn it is. And then you just flip the board physically over, and now the first player is pointing to the other side, essentially. Mm-hmm. And they put their turn marker, the, the spot closest to them. A little thing like that I thought was really clever and actually helped keep track of what turn it was during the during the round. So with that in mind, so you have event cards, as all card games have, locations, and to, you play a location, then you develop it in future turns, which will give you special items you can do, gain power or gain resources or however. Some decks have a lot of locations, some don't. Depends on the deck you're playing. And then, of course, you have your armies, and I'm calling them armies. I think I'm getting confused with uh, followers, but that's okay. But I think they are called followers. Yes, they were. They're, they're, yeah. So one thing you do is play a follower onto your board, which is basically like the people that you're going to be mm-hmm. using for combat. They have a strength and health. Uh, they usually have some sort of ability. And so you can take an attack action, determine the number of people that's going to be attacking. Then your opponent is going to uh, basically decide one card at a time how they're going to defend and who they're going to defend with and in typical magic faction fashion if you get through uh the person that's uh blocking you or attacking you then you deal then you gain a power uh basically for you as a as a way to get to to 10 power so one way to gain power is by attacking head on and trying to gain it from uh, the pool and the other really neat thing I liked about this game was the fact that you got to pay, of course, to play cards, but there was also a guild standing that you have to develop over time. You have to increase your guild standing. And some of those cards required you to have to be at certain levels in order to play it. Not only do you have to meet the resources, but you had to meet the guild standing, which brings in this whole deck construction fact where you can have multiple guilds in a deck and you have to adjust those guild standings as well. Yeah, That was new. That was new. That was new. I really appreciated that mechanic. It kept you in check where something you needed to do and something you have to think about 
if we get into the deck building part of this. Right. And remember, as well as for example, one of the actions was pay two Mythium to gain one standing from any guild. Now, Tony, I had some cards where I had to reduce my guild standing. So then I have to pay it to get it back up again. And you mentioned locations. This was cool. When you play a location, there's little uh, tokens you put on each of the spots on the location card. And when you develop a location you control, you start at the top of the location and remove that token and do the little ability. But there are cards your opponent can do to make you get rid of those tokens without resolving that ability because locations are usually pretty powerful from what I found out when I played you. Yes, they were. And I think if you attack me, you you had a choice. Did you want to hurt the location or gain the power? So that right. was a very strategic decision because you know, if I got a chance to dis, uh, develop those locations, then I would be getting those actions. So it was like, mm, what do I want to do here? Yeah, for example, I think there was one location where it's like, let's see, it was like, if you develop it, you get two power. So I'm like, well, I can either take one power from Tony or get rid of that location. I lose a power, but that keeps him from getting two. So that's the kind of things that you have to decide. I want to talk about how well uh, he did in teaching this game. So the, you open the box. Each pre-constructed, pre-constructed deck is, is wrapped and sealed. It tells you, says, hey, start with these potentially just these two decks you unrink the, the wrap. It's ordered just like it is in the rule book, where it's supposed to be, so you easily put it out. And then you shuffle up the cards and play. And I, I don't know. I just, it was so easy to open and get to the table. I wish every, I'm looking at you, flesh and blood. I talked about you earlier. Every card game has an easy entry in learning how to play the game. And this game for sure does that. Artwork, amazing. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. It's an Asian-themed game. Uh, the graphic design on the card uh, is really cool. Great artwork. Great play. Quick to understand. Cool combos. I had a blast doing this, uh, learning this game, which is usually when you get a new card game out, you're like, oh, okay, what words do I got to learn now? What kind of keywords do I have to deal with now? Enjoyed all of it. It's in stores now. You can pick it up in stores. You can also order it from his Kickstarter. And I'll make sure there's a show uh, link to the Kickstarter page. Yeah. And then once you get ready to like, I want to construct decks, just take two different types of guilds, merge them together. You're going to pick one of the world breakers. You get their special, but oh, all the world breakers have a special ability, uh, which is nice. Each world breaker is kind of unique. And then you just got to remember, well, I uh, play this card. My This particular guild has to have a certain standing in order to get it on the table. So that's the trick of merging two guilds together, kind of like merging two colors of magic. Just got to have everything set and, and play to be able to play it. So World Breakers, pleasant surprise. Thank you so much for sending it. If y'all want to play a game that plays in like 30 minutes, 30 to 45 minutes, two players, you might want to check this one out. Five minute initiative is complete. MiniatureMarket.com. We've incredible sponsor here at Rolling Dice and Taking Name. You know, they are an online store that specializes in board games, card games, miniatures, role-playing games, and all other gaming supplies. Now, this open AI chat stuff, it's scraped straight off their website. I could read this and I swear they went and scraped their website. But I will say one thing that this thing picked up on is that they have a huge inventory of games and they have some very hard to find titles. But they also, and this, this is true, they, they have some amazing sales. 
They frequently run these sales and special promotions. Matter of fact, I went out and collected four Easter eggs. Did you go collect your Easter eggs? I didn't do any of that. You didn't. I went, the clues, the clues were easy. Okay. Plain and simple. The clues were were simple, easy to do. And I used my 20% off code, 20% off of a game. That's big. So I put in my 20% code. I ordered up a game. I checked it and how it would come on price and other than the, and so it basically paid for my shipping and my tax as well as the additional stuff off. And it was also one of those games that was hard to find. And I bet Marty cannot guess what that game is. It's a GMT game. Oh, now I'm excited. It's a hard, it's a hard to find GMT game. It is now. Cause it's the, it is, it is cause the now. third printing's about run out everywhere. <gasps> Did you get liberty or death? No fire in the sky. Oh, cool. So now... Oh, nice. Because I'm, I'm feeling like I'm missing out on the Discord channel where you did Cuba Libre. So maybe you and I and two others can do that. You got it. That'll be the next one we play on Discord channel. We're just wrapping up Cuba Libra. So if you want to be one of those that plays real time, come over and make sure to join our Discord channel. That's right. I was able to take advantage of the 20% off. They had a free shipping that you, you couldn't combine these. So however you wanted to use it, yet, you only had a little bit of time to use these codes. But I went ahead and took advantage of that. I mean, you can easily search their website or their uh, based on category or price for popularity. They've got reviews and ratings from all of their customers to help you make informed purchasing decisions. And unless you listen to the reviews that are posted by Marty and I, then that may not help you make an informed purchasing decision. Fair. Thank you. I know. Overall, if you're a board game enthusiast or a miniature, mar- miniature enthusiast, be sure to head over to miniaturemarket.com. It's a great online store. Um, oh, and they said there would be a five-day um, delay and due to the volume of sales that were going on, I got my game within four days. St. Louis nice. to Charlotte. Quick turnaround. Amazing. Great pricing. Excellent uh, service. Great customer service. Um, I know they've had some challenges as they've got the warehouse up and running, but be sure to reach out to miniaturemarket.com. They will take care of all your board gaming needs. Sitting here as we record this on Sunday, April 16th, right before we started recording, I wrapped up Metroid Prime Remastered, as I promised I said I would do right before Advance Wars comes out. So I am now ready to move on to Advance Wars, and I will say after finishing Metroid Prime Remastered, playing it again, since first time in 20 years, it still is in my top five games of all time. Love the experience playing through that game again. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'll never play it. <laughs> it's just not me. <laughs> what is not you about this particular game, though? I, I, platform jumper. Well, it's a first-person shooter. I thought that was the one where you're jumping through the various platforms and having to get to certain things. I mean, there's some platforming, but it's not a side-scrolling platformer like a typical Metroidvania game. This is the 3D first-person perspective. Okay. Sure, there is some jumping. Yes. I don't know. That's all right. It's still my time. I think the level design is amazing. I think the songs are really good, and the remastered version is top-notch. I know it came. I didn't get it till the end of February. Marty, how did it take you this long? It's only a 20-hour game. Yes, but I savored it. I played a little bit here, a little bit there. Was mainly playing during lunch. Would get through a little bit, go collect some some items and stuff, and then I uh, finally conquered it today. I will say, after just finishing Metroid Dread, gosh, what was that? Over a year ago, geez, wow. The ball final boss in Metroid Prime is way easier 
than Metroid Dread. My gosh, it's way easier. Dread, Metroid Dread had me screaming. I think the third time through, I beat the, the boss on this one. Mm, okay, well, see, that's the other thing. I got to have that easy button. <laughs> there is an easy mode. Okay. They, they do have a normal. I think they had an easier, but I did, I did play on normal. They opened up the hard mode. And went, nope. Mm-mm. Don't, don't need hard mode. You don't need hard mode? So, uh, are you getting Advance Wars? I hope to, yes. I don't know if I'll get it this week, but I will eventually get it, yes. Uh, we got some multiplayer games to play because you and I also just got unmatched uh, on the mm-hmm. Switch. Uh, I'm going through, going through the tutorial now. Uh, maybe I know you're getting ready to go out, but maybe we can hop on YouTube or Twitch. Maybe you and I can stream some multiplayer games. That'd okay. be kind of fun. Yep. And then I'm going to release a Switch video later on uh, covering uh, this version. Now, this version is not on just on the Switch. It's also on the PC. And is it on the phones also? I think it's, maybe it's on Android and iOS. Uh, but I'm only only review the Switch versions on the YouTube channel. So well, uh, we just got keys for that. And I'm playing through that now. And, and uh, so far, so good. It looks nice. And I will be playing it as I do my traveling this coming up week, which after this release, I would have already traveled and been back getting ready for the next travel. So, yes, I will have a few unmatched versions underneath my belt, and maybe I might pick up Advanced Wars. I don't know. It's just, it's just, a, this time I'm not flying, so I'm happy to take my Switch with me. I mean, you're not flying? No, we're, I'm having to drive this time up to uh, D.C. Well, you can't play your Switch while you drive. Donna's can drive. I can, I can play. Gotcha. But then I'll get car sick. No, but flying is the perfect time to play the Switch. I do not like to. I uh, just uh, carrying that thing and then having to. Oh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> hey, I'm crying about it too. I just, I like I said, I need to go over to satisfy and order the small car, uh, small yep. case when the the next fifteen percent comes. Fifteen percent is offered, and I will do that. I will say that I continue to journey back into Guild Wars too hard, and I. Uh, just downloaded Guild Wars 1 and listened to I just sat here and let the music wash over me. Did you actually start it and play? Yeah. Did you pull up your old character? Yeah, let them load up, see what they were, and there are things that I don't understand. Was it Monsignor Turin? Monsignor Turin was the monk. Monsignor Turin, yeah. And then the warrior, and but well, my favorite one is the Paragon. And I forget, oh. Yeah. Uh, that was a fun class. I had the Dervish, the which Dervish. I really liked too. Man, that's Jagil Wars One is such good memories. Holy cow, that was so good. I was looking at all the heroes and all the you know you had the your I call them subordinates. I know that's not what they are, but you had them coming along with you, Ogden Stonehammer and all that other good yep. stuff, and having them outfit. And then I was like, oh my heavens! And I was like, I, I still like the skill building of that game, possibly more so than Guild Wars Two. I love combining two classes mm-hmm. and basically having access to their skills and building out the best skill layout for you. I still have one in pre-invasion of the char. I still have one sitting in, there. In Ascalon? In Ascalon. And the reason uh-huh. why is because there was something that if you do it in Ascalon, you got a special bonus or achievement. And I forget what that was. And I was working on it and now it's long gone. But I, what mm. I've really enjoyed was I was running around Lion's Arch. And saying, oh, that's underwater. Oh, that's underwater. Yeah. I know. I'm just like, that's so amazing. And there were people on the servers. There were people there. I go back once a year on Halloween because I go back and see the old original uh, Mad King Thorn. Yeah, I got like 10 birthday gifts only. I don't even know how old those characters are. 
what's really cool is to go place like some uh, Divinity's Reach, which mm. back then was just like uh, like a farm and a couple buildings, and now it's a huge city. Oh yeah, I need to do that. Too. Yeah, because because yeah. it's flashing for me to go visit because I was doing some uh, quest and I need to go over to Divinity's Reach and I forget what it yeah. was. So definitely, <laughs> age is there on that game, but still, so much fun. Yeah, loved it. When we played the beta of that. Mm-hmm. Well, with that, matter of fact, I think it's time for me to get over there and get a little Guild Wars 2 because I got to get my daily achievement. And with Mm -hmm. that, I'm going to keep rolling dice and taking names. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening. Two things. If you want to support the show, head over to buymeamoonpie.com. We would greatly appreciate all the support. And we have a special section on our Discord channel for supporters. If you're not a member there yet, Check out our webpage and join our Discord today. We're having lots of fun there. Hey, Marty, what do you call a line of rabbits jumping backwards? I don't know, Tony. What do you call a line of rabbits jumping backwards? A receding hairline. That joke hits a little too close to home. Doesn't it, though? (laughs)